So good morning and happy new year. Thanks AJ. Uh, as Nigel said, this morning we're starting a, a new series for this year. Um, we're looking at the Holy Spirit and I feel that this series that we're doing today is, um, is a key part of our vision and our values as a church. Uh, we're part of New Frontiers which is a worldwide family of churches and as, we, as we're part of them, uh, we desire to be a church where we see people baptised in water, as Nigel was talking about, and in the Holy Spirit. Uh, we want people to be brought into a genuine life in the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, we desire to be a church where God's presence is prized and where God is enthusiastically and worshipped with genuine freedom for us to worship publicly in the Holy Spirit, to use spiritual gifts and to participate in body ministry. You might have noticed I uh, nixed that from our website. Um, but it's not just there to be some words on our website. This is what we long to be as a church. In order for us to become a church like this, we first need to understand who the Holy Spirit is, what it means to be baptised for the Spirit, what the gifts of the Spirit are, and how we use them. Therefore, over the next three months, that's what we'll be looking at. We'll be looking at some of these subjects and more. Um, can I just make a, a quick book recommendation? Uh, we've talked about this one a few times. Terry Virgo, uh, The Spirit-Filled Church. This is a great book uh, written by Terry Virgo that talks about what it means to be a spirit-filled church. And some of the things that we'll be talking about in the coming months will be uh, picked up in here. So uh, if, you, if you can find yourself a copy of this. Have we still got the deal on with... Yeah. Yeah. So there's a, a deal that we've currently got with the Christian Bookshop as well, so see Phil about that later on. But that book is brilliant. Uh, my job this morning is simply to introduce this series to you, and the title I've been given is The Holy Spirit, the Third Person of the Trinity. Um, as I was preparing this, I felt stirred to pray that the Holy, Holy Spirit would actually uh, work amongst us, that this would not simply be an introduction to a series or provide you with a theological understanding of who the Holy Spirit is, but actually we would be introduced to who he is personally as well. That as I speak, that people would feel his presence among us. Uh, that's my longing this morning. I don't want us just to go away with a head knowledge of who the Holy Spirit is. I want people to meet with him this morning. Yes. As I spent time praying and preparing for this morning, I wondered how best to uh, start this series. As you can see, my title is very, very broad. And I could probably spend a long time talking about this. Um, fortunately, the Holy Spirit gave me some direction in that, so it's not going to be several hours long. Um, hopefully you'll get back for your lunch later on. What I sensed I should do this morning was to base the structure on the title I've been given, uh, which I guess would be a good thing to do. Uh, therefore, we'll be first looking to understand who the Holy Spirit is. There are many misconceptions about who the Holy Spirit is, and I want to try and clear some of these up this morning so we can get a clearer understanding of who he is. The title also refers to the Holy Spirit being part of the Trinity. Again, the Trinity is a large topic, and we could spend hours talking about uh, what the Trinity is and uh, what it means. But I'm just going to cover this briefly so that we can get a bit of an understanding of it. So just to start off then, there's many views about who the Holy Spirit is. Some would say that the Holy Spirit is merely a force or power whom the, Holy, whom the Father sends to do his work on earth. They would use instances such as the Spirit falling on Samson 
for him to have strength to defeat the Philistines and other examples such as that. Others would see the Holy Spirit as a prophetic inspiration. They would say that the Holy Spirit uh, is the means that God communicates with his people. Others might say that the Holy Spirit is the spiritual presence of God among his people. And others would say that he came and worked in the early Christians to get the church kicked off and now he's not among his people. I think that there's so many misconceptions because it's very difficult to understand the Holy Spirit. Um, It's much easier to understand who a father is or who a son is rather than to understand who the Holy Spirit is. If we take the father, we can uh, understand it because we have a natural experience of who fathers are. Uh, We know who they are. We know what they do. We then read in the Bible that God the Father is far greater than any father we have known. He's perfect, he always keeps his promises, and he'll always do what he says. Therefore, we can relate to God being our father. Likewise, we can relate to God as Jesus the Son. We know what a son is. Some of us are sons, some of us are daughters, um, but we know what a son is. We know that they have a relationship with a father, And we read of Jesus, the son who resembles the father. We read of him being born as a baby, growing up, dying, and being raised again. We read of that and we know that that's something we can relate to far easier than the Holy Spirit. So how do we relate to the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? Or what is the Holy Spirit? And what is the Holy Spirit's relationship with the Trinity? I want us to look about uh, what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit because I think he's going to give a far better definition than I am. Uh, his, what he says is going to be far more accurate than, than these misconceptions perhaps. So the scripture I was brought to is John 14 verses 15 to 31. I just want to pray before I read this. Holy Spirit, I want to ask that you would come and that you'd be among us Lord, we don't just want to have a head knowledge of something, but we want to know you. I want to pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you work among us? Would you reveal yourself to us just as we read about you? Amen. Amen. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live and you also live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me, does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, 
he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world does I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. So what does Jesus say about the Holy Spirit in this passage? Firstly, he says that the Holy Spirit is a helper. If you're reading from the New International Version, the term that is used is counsellor. So what does this term mean? The word is taken from the Greek word, which is pronounced parakletos. The reason that there's a difference in the words used in English for parakletos is that there is no single word in the English language to fully describe this. So you will find that lots of different words are used instead. Um, I guess that you guys from different nations must struggle with that as well. The English language will not be the uh, language of heaven because it is very fallen. Um, and you find it perhaps difficult to, to fully translate what you're trying to say from your, your own tongue to us. Um, and that's the same with this word here. Parakletos um, is difficult to translate fully into the English language. So that's why you'll find that different translations use different words. And uh, you'll find perhaps some footnotes using different terms as well. So if we have a look at this, it, I think it's best to look at a combination of uh, translations of that word to, to try and understand this better. Uh, we find the, the most commonly used words are counsellor, comforter and helper. The word denotes someone who has been summoned to one side, particularly to give them aid. The term talks of one who represents one's cause to another, advocating on their behalf. The comforter element denotes one who will be intimately involved in someone's life, not a distant relationship, but one who comes alongside and has a relationship with you. In verse 17, Jesus goes on to refer to the Holy Spirit as him. He says that you will know him. He will dwell with you and be in you. It therefore appears clear that we're not on about an it. We're not on about a force. We're talking about a person, a him. As it says in my title, the Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the Trinity. So what does it mean for the Holy Spirit to be a person? The first is that he has knowledge. In 1 Corinthians 2 verses 10 to 11, Paul says that the Spirit searches everything, even the depth of God. He knows a person's thoughts and also comprehends the thoughts of God. So the Holy Spirit has knowledge. This is one of his characteristics. He has a will. I'm not on about something for when he dies. I'm talking about he has an intention that he will do. So in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 11, when Paul is talking about spiritual gifts, he says that the Spirit gives these gifts as he wills. It's him who determines who, how and when he will give these gifts to people. It's his will. He has goodness and he has intelligence. In Nehemiah 9 verse 20, the Israelites acknowledge 
that God had given them his good spirit to instruct them in the wilderness. Hopefully we have a little bit of intelligence ourselves. Some more so than others. I'll probably go lower to lower on that spectrum. Uh, the next one is that he can teach. Jesus says this in our passage, verse 26. He will teach you all things. And I'm grateful for that. He is one who can intercede. In Romans 8, verse 26, we're told that he intercedes for us when we don't know what to say. He speaks. People speak. Some of us speak more than others. I'm told that I speak a lot. But the Holy Spirit speaks. We see in Revelation 2, verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So he speaks to people. Finally, he has emotions. In Ephesians 4, verse 30, we're instructed by Paul not to grieve the Holy Spirit. So to grieve someone causes sadness to someone. I would do something to someone that hurt them. And that's what we're on about here is that we may hurt the Holy Spirit. So we can see that the Holy Spirit is a person, one that we can relate to. In our passage in John, Jesus is addressing the disciples and preparing them for when he dies. And he says that um, the Holy Spirit will come to you and talks about what he'll be like. The purpose of what Jesus is doing is to prepare his disciples for a time that will become very lonely for them. They'd been with Jesus. They'd had a relationship with Jesus. When he died, they would have felt alone and abandoned. Jesus preempts this in verse 18. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. He elaborates in chapter 16, verse 6 to 7, and says that even as he has spoken of his departing, sorrow will be in their hearts. But it is to their advantage for them that Jesus goes. For if he does not go, the helper, Paracletos, will not come to them. So this would only be a comfort to them if someone else was coming that they could have a real living relationship with. And what you've got is that they, they knew Jesus in a very personal way. And he's trying to comfort them before he goes by saying someone will come who will be with you just as I am with you. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit being another helper. The Greek for this is alos which means equal with. Therefore, Jesus is saying that just as he has been a person among them, he's been with them, taught with them, related to them, spoken to them, comforted them, counseled them, he is sending someone else who will do the same with them. They will not be alone, but they will have one who will come to them who will be equal to him. The disciples were used to physically having Jesus with them. Jesus is now saying, fear not, Another is coming who will be with you as real as I am to you now. This would only be an encouragement to them if this one who would come to them would be as real as him. I don't know if you're like me, but I wonder uh, what it would have been like to have been living at the time of Jesus being on earth. And actually, in some ways, I'm jealous of the disciples for walking and talking with Jesus and seeing him in flesh. But actually, what Jesus is saying here is that it is to our advantage that he went so that the Holy Spirit could come to us. We can know Jesus as real as the disciples knew Jesus through the Spirit. This morning I feel that God wants to speak to those here today who would class themselves as orphans. 
The word orphan in Greek refers to those who are abandoned and bereaved. I feel there's some people who even as I say the words abandoned and bereaved, you feel the emotion of those words. Through whatever circumstance, you feel that you're alone and lost. It might be through a loved one being lost or a difficulty in a relationship or you may be going through a time of suffering. I believe that the Spirit wants you to hear these words clearly. He has been sent to be with you. The Holy Spirit is with you. You are not alone. Jesus sent the Spirit to you for you to know him, for him to dwell with you and be with you forever. He will not leave you. The Holy Spirit is an ever-present comforter. This word comfort is one that we, we sometimes lose. What is the comfort that the Holy Spirit will bring to you? Is it like the earthly comfort which tells you that everything will be okay and gives you a hug? No, the Holy Spirit brings you a different comfort. The Holy Spirit comes alongside you. He intercedes for you when you can do nothing but groan. He is the one who brings to mind all that Jesus has done. He tells you of Jesus' victory on the cross. He tells you that your suffering will be just a moment compared to the endless days spent with him in heaven. As Spurgeon said, does he not whisper to the heart, Saint, be of good cheer. There is one who died for thee. Look to Calvary. Behold his wounds. See the torrent gushing from his side. There is thy purchaser, and thou art secure. He loves thee with an everlasting love. Now that is comfort. The Holy Spirit will bring you great comfort and will lead you forth. In verse 27, Jesus says that it is peace that he leaves with you and gives you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I believe that the Spirit wants to comfort some orphans this morning and to bring you that peace that he talks about. And I'd love us to to pray for you at the end, but please stay with me as as I continue to preach. The title of this sermon refers to the Holy Spirit being the third person of the Trinity. I'll be controversial for a moment. Is Phil Harmon? Yes, he's there. Phil's potentially going to be flicking through his Bible in a moment for this one. He doesn't flick. He oh, yeah, he, he flicks through the iPad instead, doesn't he? He doesn't know where the books are in the Bible any longer, does he? <laughs> um, I'd like to suggest and see what happens with Phil. The term Trinity is not a biblical word. Oh, he agrees with me, that's good. It's not a biblical word in that you will not find the words Trinity in your Bible. But it is a biblical word in that you will see the Trinity at work in the Bible. What we believe is that There is the Trinity. There is one God who exists in three distinct but equal persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are not polytheists. I can't even say it. Polytheists. There we go. Put my teeth back. We don't believe that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are separate gods. We are monotheists. We believe in one God who has three distinct persons that are equal with each other. We will never fully understand this concept. And I'm not going to attempt to fully get you to that point this morning. The reason we will never fully understand it 
is that we're attempting to uh, describe the Trinity in human frames of reference, and we're describing God. So we're never going to be able to do that successfully. But I found R.T. Kendall's uh, teaching on this quite helpful. He said that we cannot understand theological... I've put too many big words in here. Hold on. Yeah, that would be easier, wouldn't it? I'll do shorter words next time for myself. So he says that we cannot understand theology logically, i.e. through principles, but we must seek to understand it analogically, which means through comparison instead. I'm not going to put bigger words in next time. He says that logic is like maths and says that 2 plus 2 must equal 4. However, with theology, 2 plus 2 might not always equal 4. We must form our theology from scripture, not from maths. We must be analogical in that we must compare scripture with scripture rather than try and use principles instead. So when we seek to understand God, we don't go to logic and think, well, I'm like this and my father is like this, therefore he will be like that. But instead what we must do is to to look at scripture and say, what does the Bible say about the father? So we compare scripture with scripture instead. So how do we know that there is one God? Because we see this repeated frequently in the Bible. God himself, when he speaks to the Israelites, frequently said that he is one. An example of this is Isaiah 45, verse 5. He says, I am the Lord, and there is no other besides me. There is no God. It's quite clear there, really. Paul affirms this in his letters. For example, he says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, for there is one God. So you'll find throughout the scriptures, there is one God that is talked about. This one God is the one who created the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1. But we also see the distinct person of the Spirit hovering over the waters in verse 2. There is one God and he has three distinct persons which are equal to each other. We see that even as the Son is sending the Spirit to be a helper, equal to him. We see that we see that taking place. So it is the, a relationship going on between the Trinity. If I attempt to simply or fully explain the Trinity, I will always fail because I'm attempting to explain the Creator in terms of his creation. So we'll always get a bit lost in that. But what we must do is go to Scripture. We find that the Trinity is a wonderful mystery. And the reason that I want us to understand a little of it is that we might have a distorted view of who the Holy Spirit is if we don't understand that he is God. The Holy Spirit was not an afterthought in the Godhead. He was always part of the Godhead. I was talking with Nigel earlier about uh, the the January football transfers. um, And God is not like... Sorry, Roland, I know you don't like football. Um, but, But God is not like a football manager at this time of the year that looks through his squad and says, well... I'm missing a striker, I need a striker, so I'll go out and find one. God did not do that. He didn't look among himself and say, what are we missing? Oh, we're missing the Holy Spirit. Let's add the Holy Spirit to us. The Holy Spirit was always part of the Godhead. We see this um, in terms of, as we look back in the Old Testament, we see that he was with people like Moses, Samson and Gideon, whom we're told that the Spirit came upon and clothed them. He empowered them for a work that the Father purposed for them to do. So how does this apply to us today? 
I want us to see that God is work in our lives. The Trinity works together in a wonderful relationship. The Holy Spirit is fully God and he has been sent to be with us. I find that incredibly reassuring. I am never alone. I have God with me right now. We see the Trinity beautifully at work in verse 16. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Basically, Jesus the Son asked the Father to send the Holy Spirit. So we see the Trinity at work even in our scripture here. So why does Jesus ask for the Spirit to be sent to us? As we've already seen, he wanted the Spirit to be our comforter, to be with us, alongside us, advocating for us. The word helper has become a word now which denotes one who runs an errand for us. And I think that sometimes when we try and look at uh, the role of manhood and womanhood, and people say, well, I, I don't want to be a helper as a wife because that denotes me being second rate. Actually, you're in good company. The Holy Spirit is talked about as being a helper. It is not a lesser term. We need to look here then to see how the Holy Spirit will help us. So this is what Jesus says the Holy Spirit will help us with. He will never depart from us. This is from John 14, verse 16. He will be with us forever. Do you know anyone else whom this can be true of? Is there anyone who will always be with you? There is no one. He's the only one who will be with you forever. He'll be with you at all times, present with you as you wake and as you sleep, with you as you walk to work or as you go home. He's with you when you rejoice and when you mourn. He will always be with you. He is the spirit of truth. John 14 verse 17. He discerns what is true and helps us to discern what is true. He is abiding in our hearts. There was a time when the law was written down on stones, but now the one who lives in us brings all of those things to mind. He testifies to what is true. No longer do we have to perhaps look at these tablets of stone to work out what we should do. Instead, he comes and he speaks right to our hearts instead. The Spirit will convict the world. We need to be careful with that word convict. Uh, we've touched on that earlier this morning. We're not on about condemnation. We're on about conviction. Conviction means that uh, we're being prompted of something that we're doing which is wrong. So the Holy Spirit will prompt us of our sin and our unrighteous ways. Again, as we were talking about and singing about this morning, there was a time when we did not know Jesus. And there was nothing that we could do in order to know him. It had to be God who broke through into our lives. It was him who convicted us of our sin. It wasn't that one day we woke up and we, we considered our sin and we thought, I need a saviour. Actually, it was the Spirit doing that in us. He convicted us of our sin. And even this morning, if you're not a Christian, God might be doing that with you right now. He may be convicting you and prompting you of your need of a saviour, prompting you that you've done things that are wrong. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And he might be convicting you, showing you that you need a saviour. If he's doing that, I want to speak to you afterwards. We saw that the relationship with a father and with a son 
um, in one of the songs that we, we were speaking about earlier. Grace is the heart of the Father. Grace is the gift of the Son. Grace is the work of the Spirit, revealing the wonder of an amazing God. Yes. The Spirit is the one who revealed to you the wonder of the cross. You did not reveal it to yourself. The Spirit guides us. John 16, verse 13. He will guide and direct us through life, showing us the way we should go. The Holy Spirit will not direct you as to whether you should have a cup of tea or a coffee in the morning, because you just need to use your common sense and your preferences with that. Although you clearly should have a cup of tea rather than coffee. (laughs) Just seeing if you're still listening. The Harmon family think that that was heresy. (laughs) Am I the only one who has tea in the morning rather than coffee? Okay, I am in the minority though. (laughs) Anyway, he won't direct you of that. But you should have tea. Um, But what he will do is that he will guess yeah Chinese guys do, do you have tea or do you have coffee in the morning <laughs> they don't they get up in the afternoon what is a morning yeah we need to do a bit of that anyway getting back to this <laughs> so he won't direct you about trivial matters but he will direct you in important ways in life. He will direct you in decisions which bring glory to the Father. Um, Fleur and myself, for example, he directed us to, to come and to move to Wrexham. It was not us who suddenly had an idea and thought, had enough of this built-up city of Coventry, uh, let's just move to North Wales where it looks beautiful. No, it's God who worked in us. It, it was his spirit of work who Uh, told us to move to North Wales to be involved in church planting. We didn't do that. It was him who prompted us. So in the same way, he'll guide you. He'll speak to you about things. The Spirit will teach us and remind us. In John 14, verse 26, we see this. Jesus tells us that the Spirit will teach us all things and bring to memory all that Jesus has done. If you've ever been reading the Bible and then suddenly something gets revealed to you that that you didn't know. That's the Spirit at work. We we can't fully understand the Bible unless the Spirit's at work in us. He reveals things to us. He teaches us and makes things clear. We also find that, that he teaches us of Jesus and helps us to remember everything about him. He's the one who shows me the wonder of the cross. He's the one who shows me the wonder of salvation. And he's the one who reminds me of my eternal inheritance. The final one is that the Spirit will empower us. We find this in Acts 1 verse 8. Jesus tells the disciples that they will receive power when the Spirit comes upon them. The disciples went on to preach boldly and with signs and miracles after they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. The subject of the baptism in the Holy Spirit we will reach Um, at a later stage in our series but I just want to briefly touch this year the Holy Spirit is sent to us so that we would be empowered to do things I'm very aware of my weaknesses I can't do much in my own strength I get burnt out and I've had that of recent I just burnt myself out and I could do no more and what I realized was I needed the Spirit to come and empower me 
The Holy Spirit empowers you to do what you cannot do in your own strength. Just wonder if I could have the, the bands join me a moment at the front. This isn't for me to uh, play a solo or anything like that. Um, some of you might have seen the pictures on Facebook of me learning guitar. Um, I haven't reached the stage yet where I'm able to do anything, okay? So just letting these guys get prepared behind me. Hopefully what I've done this morning is to, to help you to get an introduction to who the Holy Spirit is, that we may understand who he is before we look at him further in this series. Um, I hope that you understand that he's not an impersonal uh, fo- force who kind of distantly goes through the world doing all of these miracles, um, but actually he's part of the Trinity. He is God who dwells with us and in us, and he'll be with us forever. He teaches us, he guides us, he's our helper. He's been requested by the Son and sent by the Father to be with us. We're going to sing a last song together. As we sing it, I want to remind you of this. I would like people to come forward who fit into this category. As I was speaking earlier and talking about orphans, talking about those who feel bereaved and feel abandoned, I'd like you to come forward so that we can pray with you for you to know that peace that Jesus talks about. Also, if you're not a Christian here today, and again, you feel that the Spirit has been convicting you of sin and showing you that you need a saviour, can you come and speak to me as well? Thank you.